So as a family, it's really easy to only ever think about today. If you've got other people in your house other than you living there with you, it gets real crazy real fast. You got to deal with all the pressures of your own work, your own job, uh, your own responsibilities. And then if you're married, you got their work and their job and their responsibilities. And then if you have kids, well, just forget about it. You got school and lunches and after school stuff and then all the fights that they have and everything in between. It gets real crazy real quick. I mean, each day in and of itself is a battle. It's tough just to make it through like a typical Tuesday. Life as a family is draining and insanely busy. Uh, The story is told of a photographer who was taking pictures at a local elementary school for the yearbook, and he was creating some small talk with with one of the kids, a first grader, a young first grader that he was supposed to be taking photos of, and he asked her, he said, what will you be when you grow up? And without missing a beat, she looked at him and she said, tired. (laughs) True, right? I mean, life as a family, life as an adult in a family especially, is just incredibly exhausting. But there's this old saying, when you're in a family, the days are long, but the years are short. The days are really long, but man, those of us who have older kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews that have grown up too quickly, we can say that that's true. It goes by in an absolute flash. Uh, Today, we're continuing a series we started last week called Me and My House, where we're looking at life as family through the lens of the scripture and trying to see what what wisdom God can give us about some of this craziness that all of us are experiencing. And today, we're going to talk about the importance of of building a family that can, can lift its head up above the whirlwind of everyday craziness and focus just a bit on the future. We're going to talk about what it means to to be a family, whatever that looks like for you, to be a family that is future-focused, to be a family that lives not just trying to survive the day, but a family that lives with the end in mind, so that when that day comes where you have blinked and everybody's grown up and they're out of the house and life is profoundly different than it used to be, when you reach to that, when you reach that moment, when you arrive at that place, you like where you have arrived. So, so here's the first thing I want us to remember, that this is how God, the father of us all, parents each and every one of us. He leads his family with a future focus. God leads his family, the church, with the end in mind. You see this throughout the Christian story, throughout the scriptures. Uh, From the moment we're made, God is talking about the ending. We mess everything up. We bring sin into the world. Everything gets all messed up. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, everything is now corrupted and corroding. And God immediately starts to speak about an ending. Genesis chapter 3 starts speaking about the ending and how he's going to fix everything that's been broken. So in the very beginning, he's already lifting our eyes to the future. He's already talking about the ending, about how he's going to make all things brand new, all things good, all things are going to be fixed. And of course, then what does he do? He, he creates a people for himself, and he's telling them all the time about the future, about how he's going to fix it, about the promises of what's to come. And then he inserts himself into the story. Jesus enters the story, and through his life and his death and his resurrection, Jesus secures the ending. He secures the ending where we are with God forever in perfect peace and joy. 
Now, now, why does God spend so much time talking about the end of all things? Well, I think there's two reasons why he leads his family this way, why he's always future-focused and why he's talking about the way things will be in the end. He does this because it's going to be a lot better than it is today. And he wants us to know that. As bad as things are today, the end is going to be a lot better. And then he also talks about the ending all the time because it's going to be a lot longer. We're going to spend a lot more time in that ending with him than we do right now in the middle. He talks about it a lot because it's a lot better and it's a lot longer. And I think that's really instructive for parents, for families of faith. If you have kids in your care, it may be hard to believe, but at some point they will reach 18, 19, 20, 20 plus years old, and they will leave your house, maybe 35, 36 years old. They will leave your house at some point. And at some point, once they leave your house, once they leave your care, they will spend more time outside of your home and out from under your control than they spent in your home and under your control. There will come a day where you spend more time, if you're married, as a married couple without kids in the house than you ever spent with kids in the house. And those days when the kids are grown and everybody's doing their own thing in their own place, those days actually have the potential to be the best days. That future will last longer, and it should actually be better. Not to say that life as a family with everybody in the house with all its chaos isn't amazing and a blessing, and don't, man, don't overlook it because it goes by so fast. All of that is true. It's incredible. But the ending lasts longer, and it's supposed to be incredible in its own right. And so, so wouldn't it make sense if we're, if we're in a family, if we're hoping to have a family, if we're building our family right now, or if we're trying to help guide our son and daughter, whoever it is, through their family, that we would do what God has done, knowing that the future to come is going to last longer and can actually be better, wouldn't we do things today that would help ensure that future tomorrow? Wouldn't we be focused on making choices in our home right now that have an effect and an impact on that future tomorrow? We would be future-focused because it can be even better and it can last, it should last a lot longer. So what are we doing today to influence the tomorrow? Lift our heads above the craziness of the moment to think about what we're building for the future as a family. God is always looking forward. So there's a part of our lives as God's people, as we build our families, that should look forward as well. Now, if you're tracking with me, you might be asking yourself, okay, Matt, but I need more detail. When you say that, that God is looking towards the future and we should be looking towards the future because that's going to last longer, it could be better, I need more. I need to know exactly what I might be trying to build and what that can look like. If that's where you are, if that's what you're asking, excellent question. I like how you think. And we go again to God. So if our lives are influenced by his life and his love over us, we need to look at the future that God is building, that God has promised that he's secured for us. And the clearest picture we get of the ending of the future for this family, the family of faith, is in the book of Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, says this. This is a vision that was given to John, same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, of what things will be like in the very end, when the future is the present. This is what it says. I heard a loud voice coming from the throne. The throne is where Jesus is. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So in the very end, God has recreated all things, new heaven, new earth, and he's gathered his family, his people around, them, around him. And we enjoy each other's presence, and we enjoy his presence We enjoy his influence. He's still our God. He's still leading us. We are still his children. We enjoy being with one another. And yet, we are fully grown. We are remade, recreated, resurrected. So we are fully ourselves, yet still in a beautiful relationship with God, and we welcome his influence as our Father over our lives, and we enjoy being with him. And it lasts forever, and it's a really, really good thing. Now, yes, there's a new world, new heavens, new earth, but that's not the focus. The focus, the prize in the future, the the thing that God wants our hearts to be hoping for and our eyes to be looking for is the fact that in the future, it's about a relationship with him that is beautiful. In the future, it's about us being together still as a family enjoying one another, but especially his presence and welcoming his influence in our lives. And friends, that's what I think the future of our families should be like. Now, now let me explain what I mean. Uh, Very often in families, when we think about the future, if we ever grab a minute and think about the future at all, we think about really superficial successes. Uh, We tend to think about the amount of money we need for retirement or all the places we're going to travel to when the kids are gone. Or we think about getting them into the right school, getting them into the right job, helping them marry the right person. We think about the number of kids we hope they have and grandkids we get to babysit. We we think about those things. And those are not bad things, but those are not the main thing. Again, if what we hear from the scriptures is any indication, those things are incredible. Those are blessings. But the primary blessing in the future with God is this relationship as family that remains. This joyful presence, being with one another, that remains. And this influence of our Father, of the whole family, that's still welcomed, that's still seen as a positive thing, it remains. That should be the goal for us. I think we should look to a future where once the kids are grown, they still want to come back. Not to live with you, but to enjoy you. Where though the family is scattered, the family still wants to gather. And we genuinely enjoy one another's presence. And kids still welcome their parents' influence. Where getting together is a get-to, not a have-to. And where parents and grandparents get to enjoy the relationships of those that are their children and grandchildren Not so much as children and grandchildren, but eventually, honestly, as friends. 
And, and where the wisdom of parents and, parents and grandparents isn't pushed away and eyes are not rolled, but where it's actually welcomed because we know it comes from love and their influence is full of wisdom. That's the picture I want for you to have of your family years from now, is people still gathering together, enjoying one another's presence, and welcoming one another's influence. And it is a profound source of peace and love and satisfaction. That's the picture of all things in the end, and I think that's a beautiful picture to aim for in our families. If that's where we end up once the kids are grown and... The marriage has matured, then we have won. Now, the question is, how do you get there? It's, it's not enough just to talk about this future where we want everybody to get together and we enjoy one another's presence genuinely and we welcome one another's influence genuinely. How do we get there? Well, well there's a couple things to keep in mind, but, but I want to just reiterate the importance of talking about this because one of the things that I've seen in my own family and I've seen in not numerous families that I've worked with in ministry is that very often what happens is that once the family, the, that, that kind of nuclear family matures and children leave the home and they establish their own homes and the marriage matures and evolves, what tends to happen is that there is a fracturing that takes place. The family is still intact, but because the future, where the, the relationship is celebrated and people want to return to one another and the influence of parent to child and child to parent is still welcomed, because that future hasn't been worked for or articulated, there is, there is a disconnect between parent and grown child and even between spouses where, where relationships can be held at arm's length and where the influence of a parent to a grown child can be unwelcome or where there's unspoken friction, or where a husband and wife who had made their children the center of their universe around which everything revolved, once the children have left, the gravitational pull of the universe has disappeared and they don't know who they are in relation to one another anymore. All kinds of fracturing can take place, distance between, fa between father and mother and children and distance even between spouses. And that's why this is, in part, a very important conversation for us to have. So, so, so how do we avoid that? Well, I think it comes down primarily to one big thing that Paul talks about in two places in the New Testament. We heard one of them in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, chapter 6, verse 4. He says, fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, that word provoke your, ch that, that, those words provoke your child is actually one word in the original language. It could also be it could also be translated as exasperate. Exasperate someone to the point where you push them away. Fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children to the point of anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I said to you last week that there are only a handful, like less than a half dozen explicit commands given to parents in the Christian scriptures about how to raise their kids. This is one of them. In fact, it's so important, apparently, that Paul says this twice. He says it in Ephesians, and he also says it in Colossians. He says, more than once, fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. The implication in these verses is that there is a way to, to, to live in your home and to raise your children or to raise any child that's under your influence, be it a niece or nephew that you have a great relationship with or a grandchild that you spend a lot of time with, anyone 
under you, younger than you, that's in your care, there's a way to love them and lead them in a way that actually crushes their spirit and pushes them away. There's a way with good intention but, but poor results to actually spur up and create anger in the heart of a young person and create bitterness that pushes them away. Now, when I say a child having bitterness or anger, I'm not talking about typical toddler tantrums. That's going to happen. Or like the usual teenage rebellion. What, what Paul talks about is anger and deep discouragement, where you attempt to lead them in such a way in your home that it stirs a desire to leave you and not return or if they do return to you, to hold you at a distance and to be very wary of your influence. And some of us have experienced relationships with parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or even bosses and teachers that have done exactly that. They have exasperated us. And though we love them, we don't really want to return to them or be near to them or be overly influenced by them. We want space from them. That's what he's talking about. And that's what you want to avoid. So again, needing more detail, what does it look like to exasperate your kids? T tell me what this looks like, Matt. Well, teasing some more information out from the scriptures, I think it comes down to, to at least three things that can lead to exasperating the young people in your life to a point that stirs bitterness and pushes them away. It comes down to these three things, I think, at least. When a parent or a person of influence is overbearing, where they are deeply unhealthy, or quite simply, they are always impatient. They are overbearing, they are unhealthy, or they are impatient. Now, I know those are broad, but let me double-click on each of these really briefly. Uh, we'll start with being overbearing. Look, no parent wants to be um, a dominating, depressing influence in the lives of their kids. I, I don't think any parent wakes up and is like, I'm going to ruin a life today. Get up, son or daughter. We don't do that. We love our families. We love niece, nephew, grandchild, son, daughter. We love them, and it's because we love them that we want so much from them and so much for them. Uh, we want them to achieve this, to be that, to do this, to, to believe that. We want it so bad that what we end up doing is we end up telling them all the time, very intensely, what we want from them, what we need from them, what we expect of them. And as I said last week, it's good to paint a picture of who they're supposed to be, but there's a fine line between painting a compelling picture for the future and who they're supposed to be and being a dominating, domineering force over their life where you are constantly with every little thing giving them advice and admonition and correction and discipline all the time hovering over them like a dark cloud that pushes them into the ground. That's overbearing. And it can be motivated by love, but it's destructive. And I get that we want our children to become a certain person, but you can't control who they become. Some of us parents really need to absorb that truth. You can't control who they become. 
You can influence it, but you cannot control it. And some of us have parents, though we're grown, who are still trying to control who we become. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you can't control who the little one in your life becomes. You can influence it. And the primary way to influence it is not with every little piece of advice you give, it's with every little thing that you do. It's not with the words that you say, it's with the life that you live. Your children will not become who you tell them to become. They will trend toward who you show them you are. Children have always struggled to listen to their parents, but they have never failed to imitate them. If you want to influence the life of young people in your life, do less telling and do more showing. Secondly, our unhealth can exasperate the young people in our lives. Look, by virtue of being human, you're a mess. That's a fact. I'm a mess, you are a mess. I do a lot of work with, with pre-married couples, engaged couples, uh, getting ready to, to walk down the aisle and become husband and wife. And one of the things I tell every engaged couple I work with is that the only thing you know for certain about this marriage is that you are marrying an absolute horrible sinner. That's the only thing you know for sure. And if you don't believe me, just come back to me after you've been married for two weeks and you will believe me. Because married life, family life, and then especially once you, once you add kids into the equation, it, it reveals all of your sinfulness, all of your brokenness, all of your baggage. When you especially inject children into the mix, it will reveal your fears, your anxieties, your insecurities, and your anger. It will reveal those things. And it will push on all of those things. And the temptation for many a parent, many a grandparent, many an aunt, uncle, many a leader of other people in general is, is to work out their wounds on the people under their influence. To convince themselves that I am loving them, helping them, correcting them, or disciplining them, when in reality, I'm dealing with my fear, my anger, my anxiety, my insecurity at their expense. And if a child feels like they're being the whipping post for your wounds, they will want to leave. And so one of the greatest gifts a parent, a person of influence, can give to someone under their care is to ask themselves this question as they live in relationship with this other person. As you interact with them and you discipline them, correct them, or give a word of advice or encouragement to them, ask yourself this question, is, is this about my wounds or about what's best for them? Is this about what's wrong with me or what they really need? Ask that question and your own unhealth will be less of a hindrance in your relationship. And then the third thing is just plain old impatience. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 13 about the love that God shows to us and that he, he longs to have flow through us to other people. In those famous wedding verses, he begins to describe love this way. The first word he uses to describe love is what? He says the first phrase, love is what? Love is patient. 
So primarily, first and foremost, love is patient. I've got the words for the screen. It says this, love is patient and kind. I'm going to give you an image for what patience actually is. Do you know what patience is? Patience is a willingness to be slowed down by someone else so that you can walk at their pace and be in their presence. Patience is the willingness to be slowed down by somebody else so that you can walk at their pace and be in their presence. So much of family life is telling everybody else to hurry up. It it is. I I have two kids, a teenager and a soon-to-be seven-year-old boy, and most of my life is just asking them, "Why, why have we not left yet? Why are we not in the car yet? Asking my teenager, why is she crying? And asking my son, why is the YouTube so loud? Like, turn it down. And why are we late already? So much of family life is trying to get everybody to hurry up. We have places to go. We have things to do. We have people to be with. You have, you have school to get to. And yet, if we're not careful, all that our children can hear is that they can't catch up. They never quite step it up. And they can never quite be enough for all the busyness in our life. And if a child grows up or, or, or a spouse is in a relationship with another spouse where it's, it's never, ever enough and I'm always a step behind, that's not someone they're going to want to return to very often. And as parents, we, we need to remember, as people of influence in general, you have to remember that the best influence and instruction in the life of somebody else often starts as an interruption. The best moments of influence and instruction begin as interruptions. The mistake they make that you wish they hadn't made. The question they ask that you really don't have time for them to ask. The issue that emerges that you didn't plan for. It's how you respond to that. Do you stop? Do you slow your pace to walk at their stride so you can answer the question, respond with mercy, show them grace, be present in the moment? That are where the transformative experiences happen. You know, children do not have as long of a stride as adults, literally or figuratively. And if you want to have impact and power in their life, you have to be patient. And what does patience mean? It means slowing to walk at the speed of the person that you love. Because you know that if you slow to walk at their speed, you can influence, you can be with them, and you can transform them. Patience is everything. And and friends, just a reminder, this this is how God loves us. He, He is not overbearing with us. He is not impatient with us. And he is not working out his issues on us. There's a word in the Old Testament that's used over 250 times. The word is, in Hebrew, chesed. It's often translated the steadfast love of the Lord meaning the unrelenting, incredibly patient and kind love of the Lord. 250 plus times it's used in the Old Testament to describe the character of God because that's who he is. And then, of course, who is Jesus? Jesus is the, the, the chesed, the, the steadfast, patient, and always merciful love of God made flesh and given to us who secures our future for us. And when we look at Jesus, we know that God is not going to exasperate us by being domineering and overbearing to us because Jesus says, look, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And we know that when we look at Jesus, that God is not working out his issues on us. He's not punishing us because he's angry. He's not doing any of that kind of thing. He's giving nothing, nothing but mercy and grace to us because he loves us. Anytime he works in your life, he's working for you. You know that when you look at Jesus. You know he always has your best interest in mind. And oh my goodness, is he patient. Every time you interrupt God's great plans with your mistake, your sin, your struggle, does Jesus look at you and go, hey, we're supposed to be there already. Dry it up and get in the car. No, what does he do? He slows to your pace and he meets you and he says, tell me, I hear you. Oh yeah, that's a big thing. I love you. I forgive you. Now let me walk with you. That's how God loves us in Jesus Christ. And friends, as we, as we grow in that, he wants that kind of love to flow through us. Let us not exasperate and push away. Let us love like Jesus and draw them close. It is so easy in, in modern families to focus just on the whirlwind of today and, and to make our aim just getting through a typical Tuesday and at the end of the day say, I just want the kids to be in bed, I want some wine to be in my glass, and I want Ted Lasso to be on the TV. Is that too much to ask? And I get it. Being in family is hard. It's, it's been likened to life in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and somebody's always throwing up. That's life with kids. And yet, people of faith, you are called to lift your eyes above the craziness of every single day and look toward a future. God has a future with you where you return to his presence, you enjoy it, and you are still joyfully under his influence. May that be the picture for your family as well, where there are moments and days where you return to one another as a want to, not a have to, and you still welcome one another's influence over your lives. Aim for that. Pray for that. I'll leave you with some homework. If you're here and you have a family, you have people under your influence, I have three questions that I'd love for you to consider. The three questions are this. Is there an area of family life about which you are overbearing or you tend to be too intense where you could just cool it? <laughs> Don't exasperate. Is there a wound of yours that you're tempted to deal with through your family? Something you need to work on for yourself, but you tend to work it out with them. Is there an area of family life in which you could be more patient, where you could slow to the pace of your spouse, of your son, of your daughter, of your child. We do not want to exasperate our children. We want them to want to return to us with their own children, to enjoy each other's presence and be in one another's influence, because that will be a lot better, and it will last a lot longer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that family is. And I recognize that family looks a lot different for every single person in this room, but, but, but these truths are, are worthwhile nonetheless, whatever family looks like for, for you. Uh, Father, I pray that you would, you would take these truths about the end that you have in mind for all of us and how we can aim towards something similar in our own homes and, and, and help us to, to make sense of that and to apply it in our own home so that we might 
we might arrive at a future where relationships are intact, where influence is welcome, and one another's presence is actually enjoyed. And in doing so, offer to one another a glimpse of what we will enjoy with you in the very end of all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.